0: Hi, I'm Owen from Bite Size Irish Gaelic and welcome to episode 48 Iver a of the Bite Size Irish Gaelic Podcast. Even if you're alone learning to speak Irish outside of Ireland, don't despair. Rest assured that there are thousands like you across the globe, all interested in tapping into Ireland's native culture. And for all about this podcast, go to ww.bitesize.irish slash podcast. And I want to give a shout out to our newest members at Bite Size Irish Gaelic who are learning in our program. They're members who signed up, Sasha and I and Liam, the family we were traveling for a good couple of weeks uh, earlier this summer. So we had uh, recorded a podcast a bit in bulk. So there's a few people who've joined that I want to invite in and say hello. So uh, it's a big long list. It's Robert and Frederick in Maryland. Fáilte Stach Robert. I hope you're enjoying the Bite Size Irish Gaelic lessons. There's Kate in uh, Plymouth in Philadelphia, Aaron in Massachusetts, Petrie in Ireland, Catherine in Westlake, Ohio, Stephanie in Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia. Hmm, this is a harder one. Mietert in Rheinberg in um, Germany, Barbara in Somerset in England, Neil Falterstach, he's in Medina, Ohio, there's Cathy in Harlem, Georgia. This is a hard one for me. It's Ksila, Ksila, who is in Hungary. Michael in Mount Kisco in New York. Sean in Ireland. Cynthia in Massachusetts. Keith in Downer uh, in in Australia. Anna in Ontario, Canada. Sandra in Berlin. Chloe in Ireland. TJ in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Lynn in Kelowna, British Columbia in Canada. And finally... And then a journey, last person is Brian in Windsor, California. Welcome to all our newest members. It's great having you as part of the bite-sized Irish Gaelic clan, and I hope you make the most of it. So today, I'm uh, thanks for listening through that Con. <laughs> I'm joined by a very special guest, Con O'Muinechán. Con, can I Tom Untach, can you imagine that's checked against the Irish language? I will do in English. English, we couldn't even hear. Tha me gabail so Cúan so, is an award-winning Irish language blogger and podcaster. He was the last decade, I'd say, a, a pioneer of Irish language podcasting. So Conn, I wanted to bring you on the show because um, people listening to this, most people will be outside of Ireland, but you bring with you an energy around the Irish language and other stuff you do. And I just wanted to give them a bit of an insight into somebody who lives in Ireland and basically deals with the Irish language in stuff you do. So how come you started podcasting like a good decade ago in Irish?
1: Well, I think, Owen, um, the message that might be important to get across to people uh, who are outside Ireland is that if you're an Irish speaker or an Irish learner in a place like Philadelphia or Melbourne or someplace like that, you're not that different from very many people who use Irish and who are in Ireland Uh, we're surrounded by English for the most part unless you're deep in the Gaeltacht. you're not going to be uh, having an awful lot of opportunity to use Irish on a daily basis. Uh, you may do so in, in your own family depending on your family circumstances or uh, in your job depending on your work circumstances or your social uh, circumstances. You have to work at it and I think that's the important message uh, to get across and I, I get the impression I, from from you that, that your work with Bitesize.Irish is about spreading that message to people and uh, encouraging people not to feel alone that if they're, they're following the Irish Language or practicing the Irish language uh, by themselves, you're not alone because you have the internet. And in actual fact, Owen, for people who live in Ireland, uh, it's it's very, very similar. And I found myself in that situation just very briefly, I suppose, to, to give you a potted history. I was always interested in Irish, always involved in Irish. And at different times and in different places, I had more of an opportunity to speak Irish than in others. Probably the time I spoke most Irish in my life was when I was in, in college, in, in university in Galway a long time ago. <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. in that situation, I could go for days without speaking uh, any English. My my friends were all Irish speakers. We we sh- lived in shared accommodation, that kind of thing. And say, if you had a long weekend, for example, and you didn't have to go into college for lectures or anything like that, uh, you could very well find that could be three, four days would go by without having to actually speak any English. And that was fine. Um, and that was great. And th- one of the things that I discovered after I left college was that um, You you have to you have to use it or lose it. Uh, You've got to keep your Irish alive uh, if you have Irish. And I think I naively assumed that uh, because I had Irish, because I was fluent Irish speaker, because I spoke it uh, regularly, that I could continue to do so after college. And what I found actually to my horror was that after leaving college and going out in the world of work, I I don't speak Irish with my wife. So I found myself in a situation where I wasn't speaking Irish on a daily basis. And when I met old friends to whom I would only speak Irish ever, mm. um, I discovered that I was tongue tied and rusty and out of practice. And so I turned to the Internet and discovered that not only in Ireland, but around the world, there were, as you say, Owen, thousands of other people in the same mm. situation uh, using the internet to to connect themselves, which I think is fantastic, and I, I think that uh, traditionally things like languages have died because of lack of opportunity for people to use them, uh, because the density of a of a language population falls so low that uh, it just gets diluted and disappears. But I think that the internet and its technology has come along just in time to preserve and to encourage and and stimulate and and uh, help grow not just the Irish language but a lot of other uh, activities that might be considered you could say niche in, in the modern world mm. you know what I mean activity whether they, those are cultural or, or pursuits or uh, traditional crafts uh, things like that languages definitely and I see this I, I love the way that we can we can all experience the internet in our own language. We can all use the internet to reach out uh, to other speakers of our languages without actually taking up the same bandwidth that that uh, is is used by, let's say, speakers with the majority language. Which I think, and my background, Owen, as as you know, is um, is in broadcasting and in engineering. But in broadcasting, I worked for many years in radio and this was always and has always traditionally been the problem with broadcast media is that if you put minority interest material on prime time for example you are losing the audience that would (laughs) be there for the majority interest material so if you put an Irish language programme for example uh, if you only have one TV channel in the country which was the situation in Ireland for many years uh, and if you put an Irish language programme on at peak time then the majority of people who are only interested in English language programming will turn off or go somewhere else, or say, you know, to hell with that. So this has always been a problem with with ensuring that there is sufficient uh, media for for people who want to consume media mm. in in their in their in the minority language. And the internet has solved that. It's like one great big long bookshelf uh, where you can put a choice of. Many different languages, many different media, many different topics. And people can come and and create their own media and programme their own media. I worked for, as I said to you, I worked for many years in engineering. But before that, I had a career in broadcasting and, and media. And in fact, it's around about 2004, 2005, I became interested in in, in blogging and podcasting, particularly because... I wanted to help create more Irish language media, which was of interest to myself and people like me to consume. I wanted to play a part in that. I saw that this Web 2.0, this uh, user generated content was a solution to the dearth of, uh, of Irish language media out there. And... In fact, not only did that inspire me in relation to the Irish language, but it also inspired me in relation to media production in general. And um, I I got a rush of blood to the head and I gave up my good job in engineering and I went Mm -hmm. back into full-time media production uh, around about 2006, 2007 and for many years worked in in that area. Also producing, working as an independent radio producer as well. Uh, But again just working in that area of producing content in Irish, mostly some things in English um, mm-hmm. for for online cons- consumption.
0: Con, I love that, that you took the initiative to go off and do something. As most people, people would probably just complain and say, there's nothing out there for them. Now, we spoke to Danine Groh on this podcast a few episodes ago. And my main takeaway, and it was the title of the, the podcast episode, was start something. She has now classes that have been long running and they have an immersion weekend every year and they've got more activities around that. And it started from nothing. And uh, she kept at it and didn't complain or maybe she did, but she at least went off and and started something. So people listening to this, they're not especially broadcasters. Okay, anybody can write a blog if they really want to. But how would you, if you were put in the shoes of somebody in the States who's listening to this, they're in a small city, they haven't found anybody right around them who has this interest in the Irish language in particular, and Irish culture, like, how can they, do you think, reach out to others? Maybe not by producing content, maybe it is, like... Do you have any inkling there of how they could reach out? Well, I I think that
1: it has got so much easier. And, you know, if we're talking about I'm talking about, say, 10 years ago uh, when Web 2.0 was only really getting going. And uh, what we now know, the Internet, the Internet now is unrecognizable, say, from what it was 15 years ago, Owen, in terms of the user Mm -hmm. friendliness, uh, in terms of the fact that uh, we're all content producers now. And I would say thanks to Facebook and Twitter, but Facebook in particular, and people who wouldn't have imagined how they could become bloggers, essayists, if you like. uh, And now that opportunity is there for any of us on that uh, status line now on Facebook. You You can write a sentence, you can share a meme or something funny, you found a cat video or something like that. But increasingly, you find now that anyone who has the inclination to do so can start with a couple of sentences and turn it into a um a three page essay if they want to do that and people are people are finding the form that suits themselves they're finding the uh the frequency that suits themselves they're finding an audience who may or may not be interested in whatever they want to discuss and it's all it's all open to people now i i think that not every type of content creation uh, suits everyone and many people won't ever want to be content creators. And in fact, a lot of us feel we haven't got the time to be content consumers mm. uh, <laughs> even. You know, there's just so much out there and it's such a battle for our attention. But I do feel that the way in which I, I come back to it again, Owen, as being from the consumer's point of view, you know, I produce content, but I do so I do so um, only when, <laughs> I won't say only when pushed to do so, but I do so in, in certain circumstances. But again, I'm... I think <laughs> all of us will, will consume more content than, than we produce, if you know what I mean. And um, whether it's it, it, the, what the internet has done for us, it, it has given us the opportunity to be our own editors, our own programme controllers, to schedule the content we want to hear. So, for example, um, I, will, I, I do not listen to, I listen to very little live radio and mm. I, I watch almost no TV. So and I think I I, I think a lot of people increasingly are like me nowadays. Sure, I watch um, what I do instead is I subscribe to podcasts, which I listen to in my own time. And I have spaces set aside in my in my day for that. Uh, Mm. I could be doing the garden. I could be out for a walk. The earbuds, Mm. the earbuds go in, whatever it is. I watch a lot of TV programs, but I watch them on Netflix uh, in particular is my choice uh, at the moment. And, you know, I almost never watch anything that's live or scheduled or anything like that. But that gives gives people a huge opportunity. And whether it's um, you know, whether it's it's minority interest uh, material, whether it's Irish language programmes, Regina Gáithitha, for example, produce an awful lot of uh, material which is available for download on podcast or it's live streamable or it's playable on their, their player on the RTE website. TG Cahar has a huge amount of content available there. I would say start by that. Start as a consumer. Start because now I think, unlike 10, 15 years ago, it's all available to you online now. Mm. And I think now... Now, I think, start by uh, and, and go to websites, for example, like Thuriske.ie, uh, which is an excellent news service, uh, No Smag and some other sites like that. And you will find content in the Irish language to, to suit all kinds of subject matter, anything you're interested in from politics to technology to sport. And I think that you can find, take that as your starting point and, uh, you know, engage, comment, share on Facebook um, add your own commentary take something that you've read Online and use it as a starting point for for your own thoughts or whatever it might be. You want to get into podcasting? It's it's I think so much easier even now with with things like SoundCloud and and services like that as well. Mm. I'm not entirely familiar. I still work in a kind of an old school fashion myself with mixing desks and microphones and things like that. But I I know that it is much easier uh, and it is again a format that suits people. Some people don't like to write but find that they can can speak very well. Um, organize their thoughts and deliver them orally. So I, yeah. I, think, I think the options are just better than ever
0: now. Yeah, excellent. But, and Cun, just to give our listeners a bit of a context, so I'm going to bring you back, right? So you're from County Kerry, aren't you?
1: Originally, yes. I live in County Clare and I've lived here. I have in the last few years, I passed the halfway mark. So I've now lived longer <laughs> in Clare across the Shannon uh, than I ever did in my native County Kerry, yeah.
0: Right. And you were brought up in English,
1: were you? I was brought up, yeah, mostly speaking English. My, my dad would have spoken Irish to us uh, to a, a certain extent. He was he was a primary school teacher. He was someone who was very interested in the Irish language. And, and uh, I was brought up in an area, Owen, where Irish had, if you like, Irish as a native language had died out only about 100 years, not even, a, sorry, had died out about 60 years, say, before I was born. So, you're talking really a, an infinitesimal amount of time. It's like I just missed it. And, uh, but yet I would have grown up with people who, older people in the locality, who would have been, I won't say hostile to the language, but, but well, yeah, in a way hostile and certainly indifferent to it. And, uh, would have said that they would no time for that all Irish, you know. And it was because of that legacy what had happened, that language shift had happened only in their generation which was that a generation of people had come to associate the Irish language with poverty and and backwardness and lack of opportunity because quite cleverly and simply the british administration ireland, in ireland had stacked the deck against the irish language cleverly and in an administ- administrative way it was very simple uh, and the irish we we colluded in that not only, we we were enthusiastic participants in that it was viewed as progress in a way uh, to embrace the 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 language of the of government of administration of business uh, it's it's often strange to think that say just a hundred a few hundred years before that it could have been viewed very much differently the irish language was dominant in ireland and in the the middle ages the the british had to come and actually pass laws in the statutes of kilkenny to forbid their colonists from speaking Irish because what had happened was the the English had come over here and become more Irish than the Irish themselves. They'd gone native. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's often interesting to think about that. But yeah, I had grown up in a very, if you like, Irish positive household, uh, Owen. I went to yeah. an Irish language secondary school Coláiste uh, Coláis in Ballyvórna in the West Cork Gaeltacht.
0: Oh, lovely, yeah.
1: And uh, I, had, I had always been interested in Irish from that point of view and it was always something that I did. And when I moved to Clare, uh, well, no, even before that, As I say, the main thing for me had been going to college, let's say, where I studied engineering and going to college in Galway, where the option was available to do some lectures through Irish, which was available to some of us in first year and second year for some subjects like maths. But really, the opportunities disappeared after that. But it meant that you were introduced to a community of people in adjoining faculties who shared those lectures with you. And there was a little girl on campus in UCG, NUI Galway as, it, as it's known today and that's where I think it's safe to say Owen that um, you make you make friends in you know in primary school you make friends in secondary school mm. but you make friends in college at a particular formative time in your life which I think is never you know these some of these people will be your friends for life and yeah. uh, that is is I think when the, the mould was cast in my case and uh, I was very definitely uh, confirmed as someone who who to whom Irish was important and something that I that I wanted to to always use. So, you know, hmm. then eventually I, I when I was there, I met a Clare girl and, and uh, we eventually got <laughs> married and th- she brought me to Clare, basically, which is how I ended up
0: uh, in Ennis. She's your lucky man. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. Yeah, yeah, Landed on my feet. Listen, about about the authorities in Ireland. Yeah, um, it's it's easy to to mourn about this. Yeah, but uh, it's certainly the system is against the Irish speaker, isn't it? And it still is to this day. Yeah. I mean, we we have set up a. Um, it's. I,
1: I don't want to get into it. It's. It's less than. Well, there are people in in Ireland who I think because of whatever cultural cringe or personal inferiority complexes that they may or may not have, they don't want to acknowledge the existence of Irish. Uh, they are hostile in the extreme to the language and they wish that those of us who speak it would just bugger off and go away, um, Mm -hmm. you know, because for some reason and, you know, it's funny, people who speak Irish don't think any less of people who don't speak Irish but I think that people who don't, that That this there is a minority of people who don't speak Irish there is a a small group of people who are actively hostile to the language because they have whatever chip on their shoulder in relation to it and I think that they think that we make them feel bad about it and we certainly don't mean to do that you know but as a result uh, you have this uh, lobby I think which whinges and moans and complains about money being spent on Irish language resources on um, dual language signage all of this kind of thing the result Mm is that the, that there is and then but the vast majority in the middle let's say are people who you know the fact is that you can live in Ireland go through your daily life speaking English and never need to speak Irish and for the yeah. vast majority of people that is the fact and it's not actual hostility but it is lethargy or uh, inertia which uh, means that people often don't think to to put official services and signage and things like that in Irish the result is that if you are an Irish speaker growing up in Ireland if you are a native Irish speaker, in particular, you you have this sense from an early age that you are growing up in a foreign country, and that uh, the language you speak at home is not the language of of uh, the country and the nation that you live in. Now that's fine for a lot of people, but when you live in Ireland, I think, and given the fact that that it's our language, it's our national language, I think it's a it's it's a shame, and it is it it ingrains in people a certain sense of. Um, a certain sense that Irish is is not something you speak in public. One of the things that I love uh, about people often talk about the New Ireland, um, Owen, and, and the way that in the last 15, 20 years, uh, we've experienced a lot of immigration into Ireland. Mm. And one of the things I love about the New Irish and the new immigration into Ireland is the fact that <laughs> increasingly it challenges the notion that English is the only language fit to speak in public and this is a this is a a notion which i think was very public in ireland and i think that a lot of irish people felt embarrassed to speak anything in public except english and a lot of irish speakers uh will only speak english in public and will only speak irish if they feel that they're not going to be they're not going to be overheard uh, by English speakers and suddenly you have all of these um, Polish people in particular and uh, Chinese people and various people uh, and waves of people and you could go down the street in Ennis and I think Ennis is one of the most uh, cosmopolitan and diverse towns in Ireland which it has a history of course due to the proximity of Shannon Airport and uh, Mm. lots of people jumping off of planes and looking for asylum but I think Ennis became more culturally diverse than many other towns you know at one time, and you could go down this O'Connell Street in Ennis, and you would hear several different languages being spoken. And I, I feel personally that that helped to break, that that is one of the things that has encouraged a new confidence among Irish speakers. It has broken the notion that English is the only language fit to speak in public. And I think that we have a new diverse Ireland, which paradoxically. Uh, but it i it, it's no surprise to me, but paradoxically, I suppose to some in one way of looking at it, I feel is more welcoming towards Irish and that Irish actually has more of a more uh, acceptance in a multicultural Society than it had in a monocultural and monoglot society, which was English speaking only and uh, not tolerant to the fact that feck it, we can speak, you know, we'll speak our own language if we want to, mm. you know, and the example <laughs> is there. And I love, I especially love to hear kids speaking Polish or speaking whatever they speak, because I know that those kids go to school. I, they're speaking Polish to their parents, right, in the street. I know yeah. that those kids go to school and speak perfect English with an <laughs> Irish accent, you know. I love that. Fact, And I love the fact that it means that, and and again, this is how you preserve. A lot of these immigrants now in Ireland are perfect examples of how you preserve a minority language in a public, uh, you know, when when there's a majority language spoken on the street. The, the, The way to do that is not to. And again, we had in Ireland this misguided attitude that Irish speaking parents would only speak English to their children. Sometimes they could. I mean, if you go back 100 years, you had people. Who spoke English really, really badly and yeah. and yet they limited their interaction with their kids to English only, even though they could have had so much of a fuller and a more more um, really a more positive expression of their relationship with their family if they spoke Irish with them. but because they believed that the kids needed to learn English in order to get on in society parents refused to speak irish to them and and i know people like that to this day in ireland who who were spoken bad english to by their who were spoken to in bad english by their parents and whose parents denied them the opportunity to pass on the jewel um the the wonderful heritage of richness of ireland, irish that that they themselves had grown up with because this is how you this is how you preserve a language like that you speak You speak your minority language at home, speak Polish, speak Irish, speak Chinese, whatever it is at home. And then the kids will learn if if English is the majority language on the street, you don't need to teach that to the kids.
0: No, you don't.
1: And this was my philosophy, bringing up my own kids. I didn't speak English to them because I knew that they would speak it. Now, in spite of me not speaking English to them as kids, they speak English now excellently well. And uh, speak English the majority of the time and speak to me in English most of the time, even though for the <laughs> first, it, yeah? they do, of course. Yeah. And uh, unless they want something and then they speak, uh, you know, if they want to <laughs> if they want to twist me around their finger or something, then they speak Irish to me. I speak Irish to them. They reply to me in English. It's fine. It's grand. I know yeah. they have Irish. I know they have yeah. enough Irish and I know that their Irish is is good. And, you know, our our conversation will go off in English at times and and that's OK, too. I'm not it's it's not something that I lose any sleep over. But yeah. the fact is that you got to, you know, we, we have been in this country. We were taught to hate our own language. We were taught to hate our own culture. We were taught to feel uh, inferior. This is a colonist's strategy, Owen. This is how you defeat a people is that you 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 encourage them to believe that their own culture and history and heritage is inferior to yours. And you get them to aspire to be (laughs) more English than you are, as the case might be. And there are so many examples of this in Ireland today. And there are people, commentators and people in media and people who should bloody well know better and should be ashamed of themselves. But unfortunately, they aren't. And and, uh, one of my favourite things at the moment is, uh, you know, the description of people. They don't know what they don't know. You know, uh, some people don't know how ignorant they are. Some people don't know what they're missing. Uh, some people don't understand uh, what really being being pluralistic and open minded and positive and and diverse actually means. Um they accuse Irish speakers of being insular and and parochial and, and backward. When an actual fact in my it's my solid belief that the the opposite of all it, the opposite is actually true.
0: Yeah, and couldn't so to finish off like, looking into the future How do you feel it's going to be in Ireland and for the Irish language? Like, I agree with you that the language seems to have taken a turning point along with TJ Cahir and the internet, and there's definitely an energy around it between its speakers. So, is this how it's going to be?
1: Yeah. I think it is I, and I think that you were never going to preserve Irish in a glass case or in a in a on a reservation or in the form that was in 120 150 years ago. The only way to do that would be to you know cut off the phone lines and 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 um put people on islands and keep them keep them in the dark, you know, that is that is uh, you know cut off electricity while you're at it. That was never going to be a viable option and that's nothing that anyone would ever uh, would ever wish for. So as a result of that, these traditional goaltough areas where mm. Irish uh, has been spoken as a, a language of everyday life, these have become swamped with English. There's, a, again, there's been a f- failure in policy and planning and, and, mm. uh, and everything there in terms of sustaining those communities and supporting them. But it's actually the same problem that Irish speakers uh, across the country face anyway. So I think that Irish is going to live outside the Gaeltacht. I think in, in another, I don't know, maybe 100 years time, 200 years, uh, there will be no such thing as a Galtacht. Um What there will be instead is an Irish language that lives in the spaces, if you like, uh, in between English and other languages that, that are spoken. And this is the trend worldwide. You know, no culture is going to live completely cut off or isolated or preserved, unless you're a tribe in the Amazon, perhaps, Um that's mm. the only option there. So every culture is going to have to to find its own space. I think Irish speakers and Irish people, I think, will become increasingly multilingual. We, we probably don't have to in that English uh, is going to continue to dominate. Mm. But I think the Irish language is going to be something that I think we will learn from our European colleagues, where European people in many cases are have official languages, unofficial languages, uh, work languages, home languages, languages that you speak in the shop and languages that you speak in the pub and that kind of thing, especially in, in many countries in Europe. Uh, it's not a, it's not unusual for, for people to be, uh, to a greater or lesser de- degree, bilingual or trilingual or even have more languages. Um, yeah. I think that Irish is going to be a language that Irish people want to I think an increasing number of Irish people will want to be able to use, not because they have to, not because you need Irish to buy sugar in the shop or not because you need Irish to get a job or anything like that. But because Irish is, it's part of your identity. It's something that you do just as you do sport, or just as you do pastimes or art or music or whatever it is that you're into. And I think that we see this in the rise of Gaelscoilanna and Gaelscoilachd secondary schools and primary schools where Irish is the medium of education. Just the other day, Owen, I was in Milton mm. Malbane, County Clare. Uh, for the annual Willie Clancy Summer School which is a festival of music um and and a, a summer school for traditional music it's probably the the premier Irish music event and the Galtoth. now Milton Malbay as you know is in is outside the Galtoth. it's in the English speaking area of County Clare but you know the Irish language again is is always there in the background residing a Giltacht at the Irish language radio station from uh, which is based in the gaelthacht it's one of their big outside broadcast weeks where they literally take their outside broadcast unit bring it to Milton Malbay, set up in the street and interview everyone and anyone they have uh, live music sessions, they have whatever they might be, so I was passing there, and I met an old friend uh, called anya henzi who who used to work with oh, me yeah. in, in uh, Clare f m radio many years ago. She's now a producer with with reddy and and uh, we had a chat, and she told me that one of the changes she has noticed in the last twenty years has been that it is much easier now to find people on the street. Uh, in Milton Malbay, at Willie Clancy Summer School, who can speak Irish and who are happy to do so on the radio? And she said these are not Gaelic people; they are people who have grown up outside the Gaelic, many of whom who have gone to uh, Gaelic and to Irish language uh, secondary schools, and speaking Irish to them is not something that they. They get all hot and bothered over it. Is quite mm. simply something they're happy to do. These could be people from County Offaly who who play the concertina, whatever it might be. They're in Willie, Clans- they're in Malbay for the week, and they have no problem coming into studio, playing a few tunes, and chatting about it all um, in the Irish language. And she said that that is something really positive. And as someone who has worked in Irish media and broadcasting as well, I find that really positive as well. Um, we Irish is Irish is not a weight to carry you know culture and and uh, art and tradition these things physically don't have any any uh, any weight and they're a ple- the the time we invest in acquiring them are is time we spend, it's, it's a very pleasurable thing to do. So uh, we're happy to to carry our traditional music around the world with us. Uh, we'll be just as happy, I think, to carry our language with us as well. And I think that's very encouraging, very positive. And again, all of this stuff, you can digitise it, quantize it, uh, sample it and uh, send it around the world on the internet as well. So I think that the internet in particular and the technology we have now, mobile, online, has come along just in time. I think, for many, mm. um, for many beleaguered cultures and traditions, if you like, um, and Irish music and and language are are no different from that. It's no way to carry in and we can zip it around the world at uh, at gigabit speeds.
0: Yeah, excellent. Well, Con, it's been, I have to say, inspirational hearing you because it's uh, lovely to get this positive attitude and the energy I feel from you just having spoken <laughs> with you and the. Uh, So the people listening to this as well hopefully are are taking all this on board and will uh, finish listening in the positive way of looking at the Irish language rather than being feeling stuck and alone. You're out there with every single... A body else who's in the same scenario as you. We're so all in the same boat reach out. We're, all, yeah. we're
1: all in the same boat online and I must say thanks to you as well Owen because uh, just this week as well you have been my guest on one of my podcasts I want to thank you for that and give it a mention as well because uh, if lis- listeners want to go over to trailblazers.irish uh, you'll hear an interview that I have done with Ono O'Cruhor as the subject of my interview and he talks all about Bite bitesize.irish and we talk about um, I suppose your interest in the Irish language and in online and stuff mm. like that as well. Uh, What I do now, and I suppose I should clarify uh, for people as well, is that these days I work with um, a company called Black Knight. We do web hosting and domain names and things like that. And we've decided to particularly celebrate the launch of the new .irish top level domain uh, by having interviews, a series of interviews with people who are doing interesting things with uh, that domain. And one of those people is yourself with uh, Bite Irish. And I want to wish you all the best with it.
0: Asher, ah, sure, thanks, Kun. We'll, um, As well as trailblazers.irish, you can go to that URL right now, or we'll put a link as well in the show notes page. So, Con, thanks a lot. It was lovely talking to you. Good meal, maha Tough all to and that's And so, to leave a question or feedback for Con on this episode, all you have to go is to our new URL. So, that's www.bitesize.irish slash podcast48. Now, Bite Size Irish Gaelic lets you make a real connection with your Irish heritage by learning to speak the Irish language in bite-sized portions. Take a no-obligations free trial of the entire programme at bite-sized.irish/try. Thanks to Tsukumo for their music, which you hear on this episode under a Creative Commons licence. And until the next episode, slán go fóill. Bye for now.